Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, earlier in the month, our church had a May crowning celebration. And I know that that happens in various places. It's certainly not unique to our individual parish. Uh, but one of the thoughts that had come to me as the the proceedings of it was that when Mary said yes, she was a teenager. And it kind of gave me the thought of looking around and maybe America is just generally immature. Um, but for a teenager to make right decisions is not always a given. And we're talking about the easy stuff, like don't drink six liters of pop a day. So when you're talking about something that in Mary's case, in the context of her life, she was asked to essentially become pregnant in a time where if she would have become pregnant to someone who's not her husband, she gets an instant death penalty where we see that portrayed later in the gospel when Jesus prevents the Sony of Mary Magdalene. So Mary was very knowledgeable in the law and the customs of her time. Um, and when the penalty's death, as it is, I'm assuming in all societies, people tend to know those laws a little bit better than the ones that are just the slap in the wrist penalties. So I, I have a couple of thoughts that had come out of here. Um, first of which being just amazed that, that you can understand those risks and, and still move forward, but also looking at it from the human perspective of that whole ordeal of an angel appearing to you um, it, it is mind-boggling in itself and, and I'm sure uh, shocking and frightening in its own right. And because the gospel never talks about it, it makes me wonder how many other people were approached that said no to God because we have that impulse in our own lives with way lesser issues and way lesser consequences potentially where we get called to do something and we say no to it. And then you then assuming that that did happen to someone else, you just never knew who it was. Um, so it's not like the angel Gabriel said, Oh great. You're like the 32nd person I asked. Thank God someone said yes. Um, he treated, you know, so, so we don't know that, but it, it makes me think was thinking about that fact of we all get these random callings to God and to way less consequential normally. And we're, based upon the demographics of people who are reportedly listening to the show, not teenagers, and we still are turning it down. And it, it, that thought was the thing that came across to me for May Crowning. I mean, I'm not trying to diminish anything else of, uh, of what Mary had done, but I'm just kind of looking at the very beginning starting point and that choice where she said yes. So I wanted to kind of have that be the, the, the main focus of today's episode as we, as we move forward here. Yeah, well, one one thing that you're bringing out is that uh, we often attribute something to age that somehow uh, older people make better decisions. Uh, so if we're older, we're more more likely to make better decisions. But that's a, a sort of a, a sort of incidental. Really, what we should attribute 
good decision making too is holiness. So holy people make better decisions and holy people are not necessarily older people. Uh, older people can be uh, corrupt, decrepit in lots of ways. And in fact, if you have a longer period of time by which you're going in the wrong direction, you can be even much worse off than a very small person, sometimes who recognizes the right thing very spontaneously and has been preserved from uh, the kind of corruption that we can have, the cynicism, the cold-heartedness, the being, being set in our bad habits as well as our good habits. And so uh, the correlation of age with good decisions is, uh, again, not the most direct correlation. The, the correlation of holiness in good decisions is the best correlation. So one thing that Mary had going for that the rest of us don't have was the Immaculate Conception. Mary was conceived without sin, and so she wasn't corrupted by having made bad decisions. She wasn't corrupted by having a, a corrupt mind that was uh, drawn to low and earthly things, unworthy things. She, she was preserved, and so she could still choose. She wasn't forced. She, but she had real freedom, freedom that we often don't have, both because we don't see fully, clearly. Uh, we see things in distorted ways. We see things sometimes through the, the, um, our own uh, needs and our own uh, yeah, just, just corrupt perspective, self-preservation, our um, self-advancement. And then we also don't always have the freedom to choose because we've made bad choices. We've set ourselves in a direction that it's easier to make bad choices again. And so the cascade of bad choices has, has established vice, uh, a pattern, a habit of bad choices that persists in us and, and diminishes our freedom to choose the good when it comes along. So um, Mary didn't wasn't corrupted by vice. She wasn't corrupted by the consequences of original sin. And so she had greater freedom that she did use. Now, could is it possible that there was another immaculate conception who turned God down? Well, there was at least one, Eve, uh, but uh, was there another one in between Eve and Mary? I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if one could, uh, one could say that the immaculate conception was an absolutely unique privilege uh, I think maybe the church does say that. I just can't remember offhand. But in any event, um, I don't think that's your your worry so much as just this idea of contrasting the kind of decisions that we make to the kind of decision that Mary made at a at a young age. And and we do have a fair amount of uh, uh, entrenched immaturity in our time. I, I think even in earlier times. I mean, still in the code of canon law. I think the uh, a woman could marry at age 14 or something like that. Used to be age 12, if I'm remember, remembering correctly. And and that's, you know, there's a mixture of stuff there that anyway, well, we don't have to get into. But but uh, but there was also a capacity for maturity uh, that was more developed. People were, I think, a little less infantilized uh, in, in older times. And we grow in maturity through self-denial through delaying gratification. It's one way to define maturity is the capacity to delay gratification. And, and we grow in that uh, by doing it. Um, you know, the, the childhood development stage of being a teenager is normally children in normal development are ready to practice being adults as teenagers. We often don't give them the opportunity. We, we're afraid of them making mistakes. We're afraid of them hurting themselves. And we often continue to shelter children 
far beyond the real, you know, the real value of sheltering them. We, we would be better off in some cases to give them some room to make some mistakes and to try out, to practice being an adult, which um, they may not pull off quite as well as Mary did, but they could still pull off perhaps better than we give them credit for. And that might help that maturing process a, a bit more. So um, it's not my forte. Uh, the, I, I do better with college and seminarians. But anyway, those are uh, a few things that, that come to me. Perfect. And it, it, it's to the point of us today. I mean, I, I get what you're saying about how age and holiness are not, a, it's not a straight line. You you can have holiness at, at very young ages and, and based upon what you're saying, you also can lose it. And I'm sure there's some people who go through with a very jagged up and down parameter throughout their lives. I mean, some of the, the saints have done that. And I think that, that, that you're true, that that was just a general assumption that I had was just the general, you get older, you make better choices. But there's certainly examples of people who have it and then lose it. And to that end, I, I, I wanted to also highlight the fact that while she was without sin, she also knew the consequences of her decision because it, it, in her choosing to have Jesus um, and becoming pregnant, you know, she is at that moment in, in the beginning there exposed to the laws that, that she was upbringing with that. If no one believes her, uh, she's essentially dead, you know, based upon the, the laws of, of her people. And th- when that's what I meant by, by consequences, you know, we, we have in our own lives, just to take a, 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 an example here that may or may not be applicable, it's way less scale, but just when you see someone at an event or something that you've never met before that, that no one's talking to and over in the other corner there's hordes of people around there. Some people have that natural inclination to just leave that person by themselves and kind of discard them on an island and to just go with the crowd. And while there might be times that that's correct, um, there, there's also many social contexts when we can create that that's incorrect and, and we've, we've made the wrong choices. So I wanted to, to kind of highlight that as, as we have this conscious in our minds telling us what to do, which for most of us should lead us to a path of holiness and, and how the consequence of talking to someone and having a, a dull or not interesting conversation is not life or death. It's just, okay, it was, we lost 10 minutes, 20 minutes of our lives. Her decision potentially was life or death. So I wanted to, to kind of focus upon that element of how we get called to do opportunities to enter holiness on way lesser scale. And for some reason we still are, are denying that call. Yeah. What, uh, what prevents us, what makes us uh, anxious again, we've got a little bit of weight uh, weighing us down. You know, it's like, if you're going to try and run a marathon, what stops you from the training? Well, you know, you're out of shape and uh, it's hard and takes some effort. And so maybe tomorrow, let's start tomorrow. 
And we do, we do that with holiness as well. I mean, uh, how did, what does it take to develop virtue? What does it take to deny ourselves? What does it take to grow in the knowledge that we need? And what does it take to cultivate a relationship? You know, so if we, if we set out a path and I think, uh, you know, some recent programs like Exodus 90 for men have done this kind of thing. It's like, okay, you want to be serious about this? Well, give up alcohol, give up television, give up sports, give up news, uh, give up surfing the internet, uh, give up warm showers, give up uh, food a couple days a week and spend an hour a day in prayer and meet with some guys and hold each other accountable and see how it's going. Go. And it's like, oh man, that's like a lot of work. Um, how about maybe next year? I'll pick that up next year. So I think there's just a there's a basic basic lethargy that that holds us back. Uh, there there are actual bad habits that we have a hard time overcoming. That um, and and we don't necessarily feel the urgency. You know what what's holiness going to do for us anyway? I mean, it sounds like a kind of highfalutin thing for you religious types, but what does that really matter for me? I'm just a, a working guy and trying to to get by. And why do I need this holiness thing? So, you know, I think there are a lot of different uh, things that hold us back from doing what at some level, you know, all things being equal, if I could be holy as opposed to not being holy, um, sure, great. Where do I sign up for that? Um, but if I actually have to put some effort into it and I have to die to myself and I have to develop a new vision of the world that fits things together in a better way than I'm doing, if I have to develop a morality that's going to go against my family and my country, even in some ways, and and my business, and it's going to get me in a lot of hot water, and like, wow, that just seems like a lot of work. So so often what, what happens is, uh, first of all, there is something beautiful about holiness, and there is something that's uh, exhilarating about being free. And, and we look at somebody who can, whatever, take cold showers for 90 days. Wow. You know, we admire that a little bit. There's a freedom there. That person is not so bound to just a, a level of comfort or pleasure. That's, that's impressive. And we find that we want some of that. We also discover a, beautiness, a beauty in the way that uh, truth holds together. We look at the world and we say, there's something incoherent here. There's something that's not working here. And when we find a, a system of thought that fits, we say, yes, there's something beautiful about the way that all of that holds together. And that's compelling to us. I want to learn that. I'm drawn to that. And then, uh, you know, uh, so there is something compelling to behavior and to truth. But a lot of times what ends up drawing us is as we start to take a step in those directions, and we actually come to meet Jesus as we have uh, a numinous experience, a transcendent experience, as we have a, an experience of spiritual consolation, a point at which we would say, I went to prayer, I had a, a hard moment in my life, and I met Jesus Christ. For some reason, the, uh, the example of John Pridmore is coming to mind. He gave the testimony, um, I think at World Youth Day in was it in Madrid? Anyway, no, in Toronto, in uh, Sydney, I think. Anyway, he uh, he was a uh, basically uh, uh, a bouncer at a bar. He was in a kind of street gang in in England, and just lived. He was a huge brutish guy, bigger than you, Joe. He was a huge brutish guy and could you know just 
crush people, powerful, physically tied up into these different things. And, uh, and, and got to a point he was, he was bouncing one night at the bar. Somebody got into, you know, somebody was too drunk, went after him. And, uh, I think he even pulled out some brass knuckles or something. Anyway, he hit the guy and knocked him to the ground and then kind of went back to what he was doing. And then he heard somebody say, Oh my God, he's dead. And, and John Pridmore just like, freaked out something something snapped inside of him as he just like realized what it would mean if he just killed somebody and he just took off and went back to i don't know someplace that he felt that he would be safe and he and he knelt down with his 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 head on the floor and just suddenly uh, reality came crashing down and he cried out to god in that moment and he was flooded with a supernatural peace and a presence of god and, and words formed within him from, from Jesus, whom he had known in some obscure way as a child, had been raised in some, some form of, uh, I think, a, a Catholic faith, but all of that was so distant. But it came flooding back to him in that moment, and he had a real encounter with the divine. You know, that's the kind of thing that has a way of really moving us on the path of holiness. And, and he really changed his life, and not that it was easy from there on out. It turned out the guy was not dead. Uh, and, you know, so he wasn't arrested for murder and he was able to sort of escape some of the immediate consequences since that was also his job, I guess, and the guy had attacked him. But the point was that he really changed his life from that encounter with, with Christ. So that's often what it takes for us to set out on a serious path of, path of holiness. A lot of us don't have dramatic experiences like that, but we do have experiences of, of giving it a try making a sacrifice, putting God first, setting out on a higher ideal, and then discovering that there's something real there. And that encounter with the real transcendent, with the face of God in one way or another, has a way of captivating us, capturing us, and then drawing us forward. And we make another sacrifice and another step, and we commit a little bit more along this path. But, but very different from Mary, who started there. She was conceived without sin. She never had the obstacles. She didn't have the kind of gravitational pull towards something unworthy of man. She didn't have a gravitational pull towards sin, self-indulgence, uh, self-advancement. She, she didn't have that gravitational pull in the same way that we do. We're, we have an inertia of, of going in a... Most of us are not going in the wrong direction, per se. We're just not going very rapidly in the right direction, or we're just sort of sitting still, or we're, we're slowly falling back, or whatever that is. And that, that inertia takes some effort to overcome and often takes something from the outside that, uh, that we see that captures our attention and that moves us to make the kinds of sacrifices that are necessary to really grow in the path of holiness. Yeah, and as you think of that, that's, that's obviously a very vivid example that, that many of us probably will not experience something like that. But, but to answer your initial question that, that your story was calling you to is, it, it makes your life better. I mean, there's just no way around it, you know, because as you become more holy, it's really the, the glue that keeps every relationship you have together. You know, it just, can you really have a relationship if you're coveting each other's goods? No. Can you really have a relationship if you're lying to each other all the time? No. So just from the, 
first two commandments that came off the top of my head, you know, it, it, it's, it's the glue. So as you practice it better, it, it's, it's important. And to some of us, that means you have to just change your surroundings. You know, it, it's a lot easier to, to get going in the right direction if you're surrounded by people that are also going in that direction. You know, it's very hard to be a salmon. There's a reason that we all know that fish because it goes against the current. Most of us just go with the current. So put yourself in a current that's going in the right direction. And in some ways, that's the the hardest and, and the most efficient way to to correct ourselves. You know, sometimes we don't even know what the other current looks like or how to get there. But if you if you just walk into a church, it'll kind of start making itself clear little by little. Um, and, and that I guess that's kind of the the takeaway that we all could do in here today um, to just find our way back to a physical church, not a online meeting hall, but a physical church and, and sit down with the, the, the pew in there and actually smelling the smells in the air. Um, and, and something will come back. You're not going to get the COVID by reentering a church. I can promise you that. So let's put the fears aside and, and, and start stepping up back into a, to re-entering the, the, the realm of holiness and, and pushing ourselves to go there. So with that being said, we thank everyone for listening and uh, we'll be with you here next week.